you may have noticed that everything seems to have AI enabled in it now. In the world of IT, AI is the hot new thing that everybody wants to know about. But is it really a good idea? Are there issues that we need to address? Are there things that we need to know about? In this episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast, we ask, does everything need to be AI enabled? Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and each episode we bring you a group of IT experts, real luminaries in their field, discussing a single topic or a premise, if you will. I'd like to take a moment for our panelists to introduce themselves before we jump into today's topic, starting with Zoe. Hey, I'm Zoe Rose. I work security at Canon EMEA. Um, I've worked in industry for longer than I look, and this is my intern. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dominic Picard. Uh, yeah, I'm living in Berlin, out of Germany, uh, also in the security industry for a way long time. Yeah, doing all sorts of security and yeah, at Network Autobahn on the Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Let's jump into the premise for the episode. No doubt over the course of the last year or so, you've seen the explosion in artificial intelligence technology. Whether you're following along with large language models or you've asked ChatGPT some things, or maybe you've dabbled in AI art, whatever the case may be, you've seen AI. And if you don't, you're not really paying attention because it seems like a lot of companies have put AI in everything they do, whether it's AI analytics or AI ethernet or anything you can think of. But do we really need to do it? There are a lot of questions being raised about whether or not AI actually helps what we're doing or if it's just there as a marketing term. So the premise for this episode is, do we really need to AI enable everything? All right, I'm going to start off by asking a question because I know that you're both security experts and security was one of the first times that I saw a lot of people starting to use AI or more appropriately early on machine learning to extract information. You know, uh, we're going to look at behavioral analysis. We're going to look at anomalies, things like that. Has adding AI to security tools actually made them more effective? I think security was kind of a good test balloon. It was a bit up from the curve of the rest of the IT field. Yeah. And we have seen, I think there were uh, a phase where everybody had this hype. We needed to add AI to all our features and tools. And in some cases it made sense and some cases not. There were even EDR tools that were totally moving to AI detections only and so on. And I would say that is also only partially, um, let's say, successful to the larger scale. And um, where the industry will consolidate, in my opinion, in the future is a bit on using AI where it makes sense instead of adding it to any feature, no matter if it is a toaster or a refrigerator. Yeah? So maybe we, we, we hopefully go more in a, in a realm where uh, to use AI where it makes sense and where we can have some benefits on that, yeah. I think that we also, the point you made about the marketing tone, Tom, is it's so common. Anytime something comes out, everybody has to adopt it because, you know, otherwise they're not going to sell. It has to be that sexy new term that they're using to market things. So I think we also have to realize that 
what do they actually mean by AI driven? Like what, what is their AI? Is it machine learning or is there actual intelligence there? It's questionable. Um, and I think anytime you add any sort of automation, you run the risk of, did you understand your problem in the first place? And are you adding a problem or are you actually, actually reducing stress, reducing uh, manual work? Are you are you making things easier for your team or are you, you know, filling them up with lots and lots of white noise now? So I think my concern is when we add all of the things to these new terms, um, one, we're not understanding it. Two, we didn't understand the underlying problem. And three, therefore, we are actually causing more problems. Sometimes we buy the shiny new thing and it's not what we need because it had all the terms, but it doesn't meet our requirements. And I think that that's a really good point. And just to make sure that, that everybody that's listening to this podcast is clear, we're talking about applications of AI and machine learning, specifically in IT. So this is not like the little pocket virtual assistant that was at CES 2024 that like orders pizzas for you. This is not facial recognition software uh, necessarily. I mean, it could be a component of, of some of the things that we're doing. But by and large, we're talking about doing transformative stuff on data sets. We're talking about uh, the idea of a virtual assistant in a platform that you can ask natural language questions to, which is where a lot of the development in AI has really come from. Because I'll say that initially, right after the, you know, all the brouhaha about ChatGPT last March and April, there was a lot of land rush to get something out there that had AI crammed into it somewhere, because that's where venture capital funding was going. And if you remember, there was this talk in early 2023 about how the tech market was cooling, that there was not going to be nearly as much investment, that there was not going to be nearly as much, um, you know, grace, if you will. Um, also, I, I will sum all that up in one word, uh, blockchain. We haven't heard the word blockchain in quite a while. And I was listening to a podcast uh, the other day about how, uh, you know, there's people who believe that AI is quickly becoming a cult. And uh, in, a, in an interview, someone at CES asked a question about, will you put AI on the blockchain? And the immediate response was, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Almost as if that ship has sailed and now we're on to the next thing, which I guess, you know, maybe we need to kind of talk about what the one of the things that Zoe brought up. When we say AI, what are we talking about? Is this some kind of mystical um, you know, general intelligence that's looking at all of this other stuff and, and giving us extrapolated suggestions? Or is it really just an infinite amount of Excel spreadsheets? I think there are certain areas that are universal in AI. I give you an example, the large language models. Yeah, You were maybe not an expert in writing a certain poem, but an AI can do it for you very easily. And I think in IT, what is kind of universal, we had a lot of expert skills in understanding syntax. Yeah, If you are hardcore Cisco switch dude, you, you know your syntax, you know how to type all these commands very fast and so on. But maybe in the future, we don't need to know all these little details. We just form up with our intent. We say what we would like to achieve. And then... Uh, uh, language model can, can uh, give us the syntax and how this is actually um, machine understandable material. Yeah, And I see this is kind of a universal approach for all the things that are syntax related and have a special language. There, 
the experts will be uh, in the future more knowing about what to achieve versus knowing all these little commands or uh, programming languages. That is, I think, and thing where AI will go across the board. On other topics, it's more complicated, yeah, I would say. I'd also say there's probably going to be a lot that are literally, as Tom said, just a bunch of Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> I can't imagine that's ever going away. Um, I also think, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an AI expert. I'm a security expert, so I'm not going to pretend I know all the things. But um, I did listen to somebody that is an expert in AI, and he explained that there is different types and there's different ways of learning. But the thing that I always take away as a security person is how accurate is it? We're the ones training it. We're the, well, not training it necessarily, but we're the ones building the environment that it learns in. We're the ones that built it to begin with. How accurate is it actually going to be? Um, and so that's my major concern is if we don't know what our problem is, we're not putting the right solution. If we don't know what our bias is, we're going to make an inherently biased solution. You know, there's so many complexities that is quite concerning. I would agree there are situations where it will make a difference and it will reduce the strain on the teams that are smaller teams, don't have that much time, so it can reduce the amount of uh, administrative overhead. But um, I hope that when we do that, we're doing it in the most effective way. Um, what I really appreciated from... Um, Cisco last last year, yeah, it was already last year now, is when they were talking about their AI in the um, in their networking, they were saying, we don't want to make it, um, f we don't want to have false negatives, you know, we don't want to fail, so we're going to be as safe as possible. And I hope that solutions take that approach as well, because it's all fine and dandy if it works, but when it's not working and we don't know, that's the bigger concern. So I'm glad that you brought up failure because this is actually something that we've seen crop up in OpenAI's GPT model. And that is a failure mode. Now, a human being has a couple of different failure modes. If I ask you a question and you don't know the answer, more often than not, most humans will say, I don't know and leave it at that. There is a small subset of humans who decide that there needs to be an answer to this question, even if it's wrong, and they will make something up on the spot. Unfortunately, whoever programmed the GPT algorithm for OpenAI seems to have programmed that particular little fallacy into the algorithm, because we have seen situations where people have asked GPT to provide an answer for a question, that did not have an answer and ChatGPT made something up on the spot. One perfect example of this is uh, with the program Zero tier, which I think most everybody is familiar with. Um, someone online asked ChatGPT how to configure a setting in Zero tier. That setting did not exist. It provided an answer for a non-existent feature. This customer tried to configure it, could not find the answer, then emailed their support line saying, you guys are stupid because I can't find this. Why is it not in my system? To which the people who wrote the program were like, that's never been included in any version of the program. Where did you get this answer? And that was when they figured out that essentially that LLM was lying to them. So I guess maybe the question that you need to ask about this is when it's writing a poem or drawing AI art, 
failure modes are acceptable because sometimes there's beauty in the failure. But when it's something that has to be configured and there's a working or not working thing, does AI really help us if it doesn't know when to say, I don't know? So a lot of aspects are similar to junior engineers. Yeah, they got into it. They make some mistakes. Yeah, but for a lot of the jobs, it's good enough Yeah, to send a junior to do it, yeah, and I, a lot of parallels in the AI world, yeah, and I agree with you, Tom, it's only, you can say, about this uh, percentage, we are confident that this will work, but there's no 100%, and yeah, you need to find use cases where this is totally acceptable, and if this is not acceptable, maybe AI can be, can give you reports and so on, but should maybe not make the final decision of a certain configuration yeah or at least not until it's a high enough percentage sure you know it i mean i've seen that already with some technologies that we have is um we get it we have this automated approach it fails and nobody notices until something happens and so far it's been not nothing major which is great but when it is something major um then who, also who's to blame because the tool broke, not the person. So can't blame an intern there, <laughs> but hopefully you don't anyway. But um, yeah, so it's, it is quite a complex issue. And also the other bit is what um, Dominic mentioned yeah, quite a bit ago is who's got the skill set to know? Like I get a lot of new technologies that I have to be aware of and I might not be using them day to day, but I need to know how they work so that I can apply my security lens to it. If I have a new solution that you're expecting me to deploy, understand, maintain, and ensure it's accurate, that's quite a lot to ask a team because they might not know how it's actually working or how it's learning and why it's making the mistake. So I think my major concern, I know I've already said this, is knowing what your problem is because when we are adding all of these complexities, security is about being simple. You know, keep it simple, stupid, which I think is a bad term, but <laughs> keep it simple. That's much better than adding much more complexity. So when we add these tools we don't understand, that's where I get quite nervous. Because if you have the budget and the expertise, they are brilliant and they can solve huge problems. If you don't have the budget, which most don't, and you don't have the expertise, which a lot don't, are you setting yourself up to fail? when something not as sexy could do a better job. And um, just following up on the thought from Tom with a false statement, yeah? If a false statement is then advertised over and over in the internet or in the learning models, more uh, it gets more incorporated. So it's a new way of, let's say, tweaking the outcomes of AI if you can incorporate false statements, yeah? If you do this on large scale, then this will be learned by the systems and will be uh, showing on their output. So it's kind of, we have to uh, twist our thinking on how attacks will run against uh, against uh, infrastructure, yeah? So. I think another important thing to bring up here is the fact that kind of to what you were both saying, we're creating opacity where we shouldn't. Like if I run a script to automate something or if I'm working with a tool that is doing something that is not correct, it's misbehaving, 
I have enough IT skill to maybe be able to go in and say, okay, I see what the steps of this are trying to accomplish. I see where the problem is. Either I can work around that or I can provide a different way for it to, to complete that task so that it can keep going. I have enough intelligence as someone working in the industry to effectively troubleshoot the problem. It's like knowing enough about your car to work on it when it starts making a funny noise. Well, what we have now is a system where no matter what you do, you don't understand what the algorithm is doing. And in my analogy for that is when you were in class in elementary and, and, and upper you know, schooling and you were doing complicated math. And if the teacher gave you an equation and you produced a result, the teacher's like, no, 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 I want you to show your work. I want you to show me through every process where you came up with this so that if you get the wrong answer, I can see where you got that and we can start working through that problem. AI doesn't show its work. It just gives you an answer. And I think that that's challenging for people like us who are systematic, step-by-step -step problem solvers, because we want to see where the problem determinations go so that we can say, okay, that didn't look like the right answer, but I see here at step seven, you're having a problem. Will we ever get to a point where we can dissect the AI that much, or are we just going to throw our hands up and assume that it's always right, knowing that it's not? I think it's going to end up with the situation where you have to call support because I highly doubt, like I have a solution that I've used in the past that they provide an answer and I can question it, but they won't tell me where the information came from, which annoying, um, but isn't super uncommon when it comes to threat intelligence because part of their intelligence feeds is the product. So they don't want to give you everything. Uh, and so I imagine a lot of the tools are not going to give you step by step. This is how we did it. One, they probably don't think that feature is needed and two they probably don't want to do that right so i well in three they probably they might not be able to do that in some situations so i think i don't think that will happen i think it will be i have to open a ticket to support don't know why this is wrong please explain it to me you know or please fix it which as a tech that is the most annoying thing i ever encounter because I like to problem solve. I like to figure out the problem. And so I know how not to do it in the future. In that situation, it's like using a fully locked down computer. I can't even change the bloody background. Like, I don't like that. Sometimes it's needed, but I don't like it. And the funny thing is about, if you have something that is then done by AI, over time, less and less people will have to uh, have that skill set to solve these problems, yeah? And then at one time, it's really hard to find an expert that still has this skill level if this is totally done by AI, uh, this task, yeah? So uh, on one hand, we need the super expert that understanding how the AI is working behind the scenes. On the other hand, we are losing also the talent if, if AI is solving a problem very well, yeah? Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where network engineering and security operations are going to be replaced by SecOps prompt engineer. Like there's always going to be a need to do that. But do you foresee any specific roles or specific situations where having real AI would assist in the ability of someone to do their job? So you know, put your speculation hat on. Where can you think of a, a place or a time where having a system to feed me the answer or take care of the, the stuff for me would actually make my job a lot easier. Well, I think part of it already exists, not as complex as I would like it to be, but part of it exists is reducing the amount of false positives being alerted, um, reducing the amount of 
hand um, manual work in investigations. So, you know, if I have to collect a bunch of data, maybe the tooling can do that for me and maybe it can figure out um, what because uh, it can digest a lot of information that I can't do in a very short time. So maybe you can say, you know what, this is weird. So why don't you look at this as well? Or, you know, you weren't looking this, but maybe consider this. That would be super beneficial. And I would love to see that. I don't know how long that would take for that to happen, but I would love to see that. The other area, which is hugely important, but often overlooked, is not a tool. It's training. How how cool would it be if I used AI to say, Zoe, I can see that you are doing so well in this area, but you've got a huge gap of knowledge in this area. I recommend you go through this training. That would be brilliant because I can't, I don't know what I'm missing. And I run into that issue all the time. And so many times when I'm a manager um, and my direct reports are like, I don't know what I need to learn. And I have to then sit down and be like, I don't know, you know, what training is there for you? And so I can, if I had that tool or that some solution and can say, maybe take this test to see where your gaps are. And then it can provide you with a recommendation of where you can fill in those gaps. That would be the sexiest thing ever. Like the virtual AI knock or sock analyst. Yeah. They already compared all the baselines and then uh, drilled out what is normal and what needs to be investigated for it further before it even comes to a human that then have the second support line look. Yeah. I will say though, that the one thing I don't want you to use AI for, especially when it comes to training is as a screen reading program, because invariably, <laughs> even though you got all the words correct, you missed the nuance and all of the other things. And I'll probably end up writing something about that, but I won't have an AI reading it to you. So I guess now that we've, you know, we've talked about, some of the perils that we have with AI. And we've talked about places where AI actually could be good. Let's circle back to that premise of the episode. Should we AI enable everything? I think this is the only episode where I actually have a definitive answer and that's no. Every other episode, I'm like, well, it depends. This one, no, it's no. Um, I don't want AI on everything, and I don't think AI is needed on everything. There are some very specific use cases that are hugely beneficial, but that is not everything. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I make this with an example. I was listening re recently to a podcast. It was three AIs talking to each other, and it is kind of amazing. It was totally boring. Yeah, the, they had a normal conversation. It all sounded great but totally boring. I think everywhere where you need some inspiration, some out of the box thinking and all that things, this is the area where mainly AIs are failing and where we need a human to take off this creativity bit. Yeah, this is totally at the moment something that the AI cannot fulfill. Yeah. And I think you're right there. And to sum it all up, to me, one of the things that AI is really, really good at is pattern matching, is to help us understand that there's things going on that maybe our brains aren't quite picking up on yet. But to me, the reason why AI doesn't need to be in everything is the next question. So what? If I can see a pattern and recognize it, then that means I need to be creative in how I solve that issue. Not every question has a definitive answer. 
And unfortunately, as we've learned, AI thinks that every question has a definitive answer. It doesn't know when to tell you no. It doesn't know when to ask for help. It thinks that its entire world is inside of that box. And as Dominic said, we spend a lot of time thinking outside of our box to understand problems, to come up with solutions, to counter what people are doing because they're just as creative, whether they're AI assisted or not. And there are some things that maybe just don't need to have AI, either because it's too complicated or they're just working fine and they don't need the extra oomph of large language model learning. Whatever the case may be, I think that we've come to a definitive answer that no, we don't need to AI enable everything. In fact, we probably don't need to AI enable most of the stuff that has AI in it now. And just like blockchain, just like software-defined networking, just like any other technology gold rush that we've seen over the last 20 years, we'll eventually get to a good point where AI helps us with the things it should help us with. And then we're off to whatever the next thing is that we'll be complaining about and recording episodes of a podcast asking if it needs to be enabled on everything. That'll just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast. I want to thank our guests for tuning in. Remember that you can find us on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash video. You can check out gestaltit.com for show notes from the podcast. And you can find us in your favorite podcast application of choice. Just search for the On-Premise IT Podcast. Yes, we are using on-premise correctly. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another great episode. Until then, stick to the topic and let's stay on-premise.